from newstalkzb.co.nz. It's the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ. G'day there and welcome to the rewrap for Tuesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on News Talks ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB. And this morning, uh, Griff Reese Jones. I'd sort of forgotten about him, but he was on the show. I love Griff Reese Jones. Um, have they found MH370 or figured out what, what happened with it? And uh, Dry July uh, finishes up. I'll drink to that. But before any of that, I am licensed to tell dad jokes. How many times do I have to tell you? Before any of that, uh, Winston's last day in the big in the big ch- chair. How's he gone? And when you take him out of the enclosed box that is New Zealand First and all its nuttiness, he's actually a fairly impressive act, which is why I've always felt he could do a lot better than many perceive him to be. In surrounding himself with the sort of operation he has, he's remained niche. I mean, the lineup of offsiders has been spectacularly inexperienced and disappointing. The possible exceptions these days being Ron Mark, Shane Jones, and maybe, maybe this Fletcher Tabato bloke, although since his promotion to deputy, I've literally not heard a word from him. He's not helped himself, that's Winston, whether by personality or desperation to be heard in a crowded field. He's had to come across at times as cantankerous and litigious and confrontational and sometimes even mad. It would seem odd to think that it's taken to the age of 70-something and a second proper crack at government to finally learn the lesson that if you tone yourself down, use the experience you have, use the undoubted brain power you have, you can actually come across as seasoned, insightful, reassuring and impressive, and occasionally highly entertaining. And even more so, when I looked at Jacinda's Facebook post the other day, she was talking to me like I was a baby. Peters has done an excellent job better than many would have thought. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we had him on for the last time in his role as uh, acting Prime Minister this morning, and things got weird. Listen, have you enjoyed yourself? Yeah, well, if you ask me that, I've not so much enjoyed myself. It, it, it's been a pleasure to get on with the job. We've got a much more, a, a bigger diary. But I really do thank my staff and uh, the Prime Minister's staff for just getting on with it and making it work. It could have been so much more different. You know how politics is, what politics is like. Mm. Selfish, self-serving, venal. And they've shown all the reverse signs of that sort of behaviour. It's been marvellous. Yeah, so they're going out shopping for holy jeans together. Is, this what, is that what's happening there? I think Mike started getting quite wistful about Winston this morning. Mike, how is it possible to hate someone and love one someone in equal measure? It's a very good question, actually. And I think that boils down to my relationship with Winston Peters because uh, there's a lot about that party that's a shambles. We, I mean, anyone who follows politics in this country has seen what New Zealand First has been up to for the last 25 years, and it's been chaos in many respects. And there have been people come in that you think have got potential that have imploded. There have been people who come in that you think are complete idiots and have proven themselves to be complete idiots. There are people who have come and gone and made literally no contribution whatsoever. And you always got the sense that New Zealand First was one of those cobbled-together organisations that was never quite ready for what they were about to get themselves into. And because of the personality cult that is New Zealand First because of Peters, they've got themselves across the line more often than not. And suddenly you've had a whole bunch of people in Parliament that literally didn't have a clue. And there are some people in Parliament under those auspices right now. I, 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 Shane Jones and Ron Mark I've got a bit of time for, but the rest of them over the years have been shambolic. Remember Brendan Horan? I mean, what a farcical joke that was. Whether man turned New Zealand first MP, turned independent MP, turned person you've never heard from again. That's the story in many respects of New Zealand first and what they've tried to do. But below all of that, or mixed in with all of that, has been this this unstoppable, immovable force called Winston Peters. And there are many aspects to him I genuinely like. 
and he is an affable bloke in, in the appropriate circumstances. He is light of foot. He's very comfortable in his own skin, and I've always admired that attribute or quality in people. Like him or hate him, love him or hate him, love him or loathe him, he is what he is, and he's comfortable with it. And there's a certain admiration to be gained from that. And, and he's good fun. And if you talk to the politicians on any side of the house, and, and just in a quiet moment, away from the headlines, and you go, Winston, every single one of them has something decent to say about Winston Peters in terms of his affability and the fact he is just fundamentally a likeable person. And I think he's turned in his last six weeks his hand to being relatively serious about the job. And overall, has done a pretty decent... Um, has done. A pre- I mean, look at it this way. Many people would have argued it could have been a hell of a lot less. And as uh, Brian says in his email personally... I'm sorry he couldn't find a way to stay on as the real PM. Much more fun. And in that, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong, Jacinda. We love you, but I don't know if we're inviting you to our party to get the party started. You know what I'm saying? Do you? That's what happens when you have kids, you see? You don't get invited to parties. Uh, Griff Reese jones he was on today. I love him. May have said that already. Did you ever think, and of course, I, 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 we, we, we know you most of all for Alas Smith and Jones, not the nine o'clock news, which we'll talk about in a moment. But when you ride that particular train of popularity and it ends in whatever way it ends, and then you go, geez, what am I going to do next? Did you have a plan or did all this just evolve? I'm afraid even riding the train of popularity was just a, it was a, it was a bogus ticket. I didn't even know I was on it. <laughs> I, I just jumped aboard as a platform and they had to say, Oi, you, get aboard. And so it's been a bit the same with all this travel I started doing. It was really my opportunity to go at the BBC's expense all over the world. Exactly. Now, here's what, Griff, I didn't know about you. You started off as a trainee radio producer at BBC Light Ent. Do you have a love of radio? <laughs> I loved radio. In fact, we went together. I went in there with Douglas Adams, who wrote yep. uh, Triker's Guide to the Galaxy, and, and uh, John Lloyd, who went on to produce Spitting Image and, uh, and Blackadder and all these things. And we all joined together. And that was because everybody who worked in BBC Light End had been recruited after the war. In fact, in those days, they were better known because of their war record than they were because, what, because they produced, you know, in other words, the, the head of the department had been apparently the chief of police at, uh, uh, in Gibraltar, and mm. that was more important than any programmes he'd ever produced. Do you know, I had until today, I'd completely forgotten what a complete addict I was to Alas Smith and Jones, and I, I VCR'd the shit out of that show. I tell you what. Um, now, MH370, the reports in, and they still don't know. Flight 370. Uh, in a nutshell, the reports out. Uh, they think it's deliberate. I mean, I think we can all conclude that, can't we? Uh, they don't. Well, they, think it's... They, they, they say that they don't. They, they can't they say it wasn't deliberate. Fundamentally, they don't know. I mean, the overarching uh, premise of the report is they don't know. They will never know until they find the plane. They're not going to find the plane, and that's that, basically. But if, if they were to guess, they think it's deliberate, and it wasn't the pilot. They've concluded it's probably a third party. But until until they get that black box with, they won't get that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, several years on, is the end of it. But so they, they also haven't ruled out space aliens. Selfie, yeah, massive, massive selfie fails. Yeah, see, so that's um, that's off the back of the uh, the other report that came out today that uh, 150 old people um, have killed themselves taking selfies around the world. Because uh, you know that would that could explain the erratic uh, flight pattern of uh, MH370 if the pilots were just going selfie crazy. 
but I'm not trying to make I'm not trying to make light of the MH370. I'm just making light of the report, which was not very conclusive. Uh, we are finishing up here. Uh, we're discussing a dry July and how it went and what the problem is with the way we drank. So you argue the key is reduction, not quitting. Don't try quitting. Just try reducing. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are worried about how much they drink and they don't want to quit. I think that's the key point here. And a lot of people think that, you know, I'm an all or nothing drinker and I can't be in the middle. But my program is about training that mind to drink less. So, you know, dry July is fantastic. Abstaining for a month is brilliant. But the key thing is, are you going to go back to old drinking ways? Mm. And that's what I help people with is don't go to that default zone. You can go somewhere else. If you can't say, say you have two glasses of wine a night and you go, right, that's too much for me, I'm going to have one. If you can't simply do that, does that mean you've got a problem with booze? No, my slogan is, it's your thinking before you're drinking that's the problem. So if you're, say for example, if you use alcohol as a way to de-stress or a way to calm down or a way to kind of turn off from your day, what happens is your mind goes into, how do I stop feeling vulnerable? And if alcohol is how you think about turning that off, then it will keep demanding it. So I'm saying is if you change the coping strategies, then you don't need to drink with that intensity or that you know, that real drive to drink. I've got to have, to have a drink. Mm. It, it's not that people don't have a willpower. It's just that their mind has trained themselves to use alcohol as their emotional crutch. She, she, she keeps saying these things like they're a bad thing. Um, and like the whole you know, numbing... Like, I get the numbing your emotions and anxieties thing, definitely, and then exposing your vulnerabilities. I don't I don't understand that bit at all, because by the time you've numbed your anxieties and your feelings, you're not aware of whether you're vulnerable or, or not, are you? See, that's where I feel people are getting their drinking wrong. If you're still aware of it, you're not using... Have I, got, I think I've got issues. I might have issues. I am going to go and have a good, hard think... I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, that was the rewrap. We'll see you back here again tomorrow.